Welcome to the Immigrant Entrepreneurs Podcast, episode 11. My name is Alina Warwick, and today I have a great honor to chat with Robbie Cabral from Shark Tank. He's the innovator behind Benji Locks, and he invented the fingerprint locks. Robbie came from Dominican Republic, where it was considered an unsafe place to live. He was robbed several times and once at gunpoint. He initially came to the States with the band to explore the music industry, but soon found himself very lost and confused because he was laid off, depressed, and with a wife and three little kids at home, he had no idea what his next move is going to be. Let's hear all about Robbie's immigrant entrepreneur journey and how he reinvented himself several times to get to the amazing innovation of fingerprint locks. Let's dive right in. All righty, Robbie, thank you so, so much for coming on my podcast where I interview immigrant entrepreneurs and their journeys. And I'm so excited to actually finally talk to you about your immigrant entrepreneur and especially the fact that you appeared on Shark Tank. So how are you doing today? Oh, I'm very excited. And thank you so much, Alina, for having me in your podcast. It's a uh... A pleasure and an honor to be here with you today. Thank you. Thank you. So let's start from the very beginning. Let's talk about your immigrant journey. Tell us where you're from and when did you come to the States? Well, I'm actually originally uh, born and raised in uh, Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic, small island in the Caribbean. And I actually came to the U.S. in 2007. And how old were you? I believe I was 22 or 23. Oh, okay. And did you come did you come with your family or did you come by yourself? No, I actually came on my own with basically dreams to become a musician. That's always been my passion back home. And after I actually, you know, finish uh, college and all that, I decided to just pursue that passion. And that's how I ended up uh, coming to the States. Wow. So you left your family behind and just came all by yourself. Yep. Well, you know, at the time, too, uh, I was actually only raised by my mom. So like my mom was my dad as well, in a way. Mm -hmm. And uh, they they divorced when I was like six months. So I've always been kind of very independent. Uh, I always had to kind of figure things on my own. And after doing school and all that, I felt that music for me was a passion to kind of express my personality and all that. And and Mm -hmm. that's what I was doing back home, just uh, doing school, working and and pursuing the music aspect. We had a band and it was great. And we decided, you know, why not try to venture and go to the States and and see what's out there. And and I pushed the band to do it and we ended up doing it. But at the end of the day, just like every other, you know, a band is kind of like a business that if things Mm -hmm. don't work out, everybody ended up going back home or going to another state. And I said to myself, I'll figure things out. And even if the music doesn't pan out. It's just, you know, it's been a great journey, but I just want to continue pushing my buttons here in the States. And so you came out here with your band partners. Is that correct? Correct. Correct. So we came here to try to continue pursuing the music. We did a couple of shows. We started on the East Coast, actually, New York, Chicago, uh, Jersey. And then after that, we ended up coming here to California. But that's when, you know, when you come to a place to like California, it's kind of like you're one of 50,000 bands trying to make it, (laughs) trying to make it happen. And funny story around that time too, was that 
there was still no YouTube. It was mm-hmm. kind of like that that beginning of all the digital. And then like places like Tower Records and FYE and Virgin Records, all these places were kind of closing down. And so mm-hmm. it was a very tough moment in the music industry. And I think we came at the tough moment because everything from uh, from retail stores that were closing down, everything was kind of turning digital. It was didn't want to sign new artists. And so at that time, it was just tough. And a lot of the team members, which, I, you know, I completely agree, you know, we don't have any family here and uh, we don't have cars. We don't have homes. And everybody said, you know, this is it's great with you to be with you, Robbie, but I'm out. And I say, hey, mm-hmm. I wish you well. I completely get it, but I'll figure things out here. So I ended up staying and that's kind of how my life started here. Wow. So you ended up staying in California while everyone left to back to Dominican Republic. Correct. Correct. Awesome. And where did you learn English? Did you learn English back in school in Dominican Republic? Yeah. So I would say that probably back home, I started kind of learning uh, little by little, but it wasn't really my forte until I actually, I believe it was probably before going into college, there was a program back home that it, it was about exchanging students. So that was kind of like my first time, actually, before coming to California and all that, this was like my first time venturing in the U.S. So my bad, probably back in 2002. I, I remember it was like after 9-11, I guess a student from Wisconsin went to Dominican. And in my case, I thought I was going to a place like New Jersey and all that. I ended up in Wisconsin. And this was completely different for me. It was just, uh, you know, different experience because I'm arriving in a place that is like full of farm and corn and cows. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, where am I going? Um, but long story short, that was a great experience. I, I, I stayed in Wisconsin for six months. And that's how I actually learned English because I was working in a water park in a place called Wisconsin Dells. And that's kind of how I started picking up the English language by working here and and doing all these things from housekeeping to you name it, just to kind of learn the English. And and I've always been a workaholic, so uh, mm-hmm. that was not an issue for me. Got it. Got it. So what was it like growing up in Dominican Republic? I mean, it was great. Uh, I miss back home. I won't lie to you. I haven't been home since probably more than 11 or 12 years now. It, it, it's great. I mean, it's a great country. It's a great city, Santo Domingo. Uh, a lot of great friends I left behind. I mean, it's great schools and great people. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, when you're living there, you kind of notice with time that you don't have that many opportunities. And especially if you're kind of thinking a bit out there, whether it's any type of business that you want to do, it's just difficult because you're just, you know, in a third world country that still to this day, when you go out, you have to look all over, you know, around you because someone can come in and and steal from you and things of that nature. So I kind of experienced that before coming here a couple of times. And that was also one of the reasons that I personally didn't feel safe, but also I felt that there was not an opportunity for me to pursue any other of my dreams. And that was one of the reasons that I kind of immigrated. Why, and why do you say you didn't feel safe? Well, in, in a sense that probably the last year of before coming here, I probably got robbed maybe like three or four times and even one time at gunpoint. And so it was one of those things that thank God, knocking on wood, nothing happened. But, Mm. you know, it it doesn't even matter in what neighborhood you're at. If it's a good neighborhood, bad neighborhood, uh, you always have to look around where you're at because someone can come in in a little small motorcycle and take what you have or do and do some sort of a harm just for something that is not even worth it. So those were the issues that I was kind of dealing with. And then again, 
it, it kind of goes back to, you know, uh, back home, I was working for uh, uh, doing customer service for uh, Sirius Satellite Radio. Since I kind of knew English, I got that job. And but at the end of the day, it wasn't even related to what I study, but it was a way to make extra money because you were earning two, three dollars an hour back home. And that was like a lot of money. And mm -hmm. it was the only mm -hmm. way to kind of at least get some income coming in to plan for your future trips to the state. Uh, back home, I've always been a creative, always love uh, painting and, and music and, and the arts. So I basically study uh, advertising and marketing. That was the, the career I chose back home. But awesome. it's a it's a mixture of uh, all the classes were very artistic from painting to uh, graphic design to, you know, you name it. Uh, mm -hmm. it. I've always been a creative and and that's why I ended up uh, doing that. Mm. I'm sure you're using a lot of that right now with what you're doing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you got that so, right. Yeah. So, Robbie, um, were you raised in an entrepreneurial family? Did your parents give you any advice regarding entrepreneurship? Yeah, I, I will say that was kind of instill a bit from my mom as well because i always you know as growing up i always see her working and working to try to provide the best for me and always seeing like her sisters and brothers always working in in, in their craft and and i always been raised of being someone that don't expect anything from anyone just be you but just make sure that what you're doing you you do the best you can in in that field you know even though if you're you may not be the best at least you you put 110 percent and you know, I remember that it, kind of growing up, seeing that uh, I remember also like, you know, going back home and every time I had something, I would try to sell it, whether if it was a pen or if it was comic <laughs> books, I would put like a little stand and try to sell it outside. So I, I was always kind of hustling in a way. I love it. <laughs> but yeah, that's been kind of instilled in my family. And so did your parents have businesses on their own? Not really. I mean, you know, my I would say probably like my mom and 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 kind of growing up with with my uncles and aunts and and my mm -hmm. grandma and all of them just have like normal uh, trade jobs back home from you mm -hmm. know medicine and or doing law or I mean you name it the the basic kind of third world country jobs that people love and enjoy but it's one of those things that that you kind of see it every day like they go into work and. And, you know, even mm -hmm. even my grandma that she passed away when she was, I believe, 96, even to that age, she was still packing her little bag and going to the doctor to work. And, wow. and so, so so it's one of those things that you kind of see that maybe it's it, it, maybe it's something that the family has had for years. And, and I kind of adopted that working mentality from being little. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Got it. Got it. So Robbie, before you tell our listeners about how you opened your company, tell me a little bit about the path you took. And did you try to go into any other fields before starting your business? And I know you mentioned you came out here to um, do the band thing. What, what was the next thing you tried to do after the band didn't fall through? Well, you know, it's like uh, every entrepreneur, you know, they'll tell you that it, it, it's very, very hard to be that first idea kind of, mm -hmm. you know, take it to that next level. So even even the music, you know, I, I tried it for 10 plus years. Uh, it was great, but the passion was gone. And I felt to myself, this is it onto the next thing. So at that time, uh, I decided just to, you know, do whatever any immigrant that is here in the in the States, do whatever to make ends meet, you know, mm -hmm. so I was working mm -hmm. at restaurants, uh, working ballet, working in hotels, I mean, you name it just to get some income coming in. And while you're pursuing that, then it gets to a point that now, you know, you have a, a at the time girlfriend, then becomes wife, then you have your first child. And and then now that trying to get those side little 
hustle jobs are not working out anymore. So you have to kind of figure out how can I get now a full-time job? And that was tough, you know, putting your resume out there, going to interviews, getting denied. Very hard to get a, a job here in America. You name it. I mean, doing Monster, Indeed, uh, all these places at the time and mm-hmm. nothing. And after lo- knocking on a lot of doors, always hearing no and no and no and no, uh, it, it gets to you. But I always learned that all those interviews that you did back in that time, it will just help you make you better for the next one. Mm-hmm. So I never seen seen it as a failure. It was more of an opportunity to keep learning and and keep improving yourself as a person. And and then from there, you know, I landed a job in a consumer electronic company, which was like doing headphones and stuff like that. I did that for a year. It was great. Then I decided to kind of venture as well and do another side business. At the time, I believe it was um, always been passionate about collectibles and things of that nature. So I remember I, I built a website called figureoftheday.com. Nice. And, <laughs> and every and every day, it was just like a, a Groupon kind of thing that every day you come in and you will find like a collectible of the day. And believe it or not, that little business kind of hit. You know, I had wow. like, I had places like Mattel and, and all these different toy, toy, uh, you know, businesses, they were like, who the heck is this kid? Who the heck is this figure of the day? All of a sudden this, you know, taking all these customers from us and, uh, long story short, I did that for two years, but then again, like every business, it's tough to maintain. It's very hard to, uh, you were selling, you were getting a lot of publicity and all that. But at the end of the day, the books were not making sense. And Mm -hmm. from a finance standpoint, again, I'm still learning. That was a failure. So I ended up just also because of family and all that, and you have kids and, and, and that kind of pressure gets to you. Uh, Mm -hmm. I took it as a, you know what, this will be an opportunity to learn what, what did I do well? What did I do wrong? And onto the next one, I ended up selling it, you know, very cheap to kind of recoup some of the debt and then onto the next uh, venture. And -hmm. basically my next venture was getting another job. Uh, this time was in the real estate world. And oh. I mm-hmm, I did that for probably six months. But sadly, in six months, I got laid off. This is That's kind of where the whole Benji Lock story now takes place. Okay, so you reinvented yourself so many times. Wow, that's crazy. So now you laid off, you're laid off. And then what happens? Then basically, the, you know, at the time of... Uh, since my wife is a teacher, she had to go back to work. I'm stuck at home with three kids. And wow. now and now you're like, you know, what am I going to do? You're laid off from work. You're basically handsome. You're kind of like that Michael Keaton movie, Mr. Mom, that you're at home <laughs> with the kids. And now you have to do everything from dishes to, I mean, you name it, everything from the household. I was doing it. <laughs> you know, and I was doing all that and it was great. And then for some reason, you know, I, I was also got depressed. I won't lie to you. I got depressed. I got very sad because I wanted to go back to Dominican. But I felt that, you know, I didn't have any family here and I felt like left alone. But then I kind of realized, you know what, you actually do have a family here. So you have to kind of man up and figure things out. And through that time frame, uh, I put probably like 50 pounds because I was very I was lost in a way, like I just couldn't keep myself afloat until Mm -hmm. one day I said, you know, I got to do better. So I started kind of walking every day with a little one. Uh, Then uh, one day I said, you know, let me join the gym. So I started going to the gym and then just out of the blue, I'm telling you, this was not even in my plan. It wasn't even in my picture. One day I'm just stuck in the gym there and a gentleman left the key inside the locker and 
So he's trying to open it. He can't open it. And he calls the manager. The manager comes in. He tries to bolt cut it. They can't do it. They try to drill it. Mm. And I'm looking all of this in front of my face. And I'm like, wow, how come there's just not a lock that you can open with your fingerprint, but also with a key? And that's mm-hmm. where kind of like the light bulb popped in. And that's where Benji Lock basically was born. And that's kind of how I started this whole journey. Did you ever go back and find that guy to thank him for your new invention? <laughs> you know, I, I haven't seen him since. Uh, especially <laughs> now with the, the whole uh, COVID situation that, that the local gym where I, I normally go and the idea started is close to. So, but if I do see him, I'll make sure to thank him. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, I happen to have one of your Benji locks. Thank you so much for sending that to us. And my husband was like a kid in the candy store who was so excited to get that thing open and set up. And I have to say that it was so, so easy to set up. And he's more of reading the instructions to get things installed and, and set up. And I'm more of where's the YouTube video for this. So, and you guys cover it both on YouTube. Really easy to follow those steps. And then he figured it out by reading through the instructions, but we use it on our side gate on the house. And I love the fact that you can have multiple people um, save their fingerprints on those locks. So I'm telling you, it's a genius invention. So thank you so, so much for creating something like this. And I'm sure so many people are benefiting from it, but tell me about how many stores are you guys are in right now? Cause I know you guys are in Best Buy, Home Depot, even Bed Bath & Beyond. How many stores are you guys in? Well, right now, you know, and again, uh, thank you so much for the compliment because it means a lot. It's great to see that people can use it in different things, not only in the gym, but I mean, you name it, especially right. with the, the, the TSA version that is for travel, even though now with the whole COVID, it's been a bit tough for us, especially, but at least uh, there's that versatility of using the product in different ways. In regards to the stores and all that, that that's the beauty too of, of again, having that platform of, of the Shark Tank, having the chance to have an investor like Kevin O'Leary, and then we having the chance to partner with uh, Hampton Products International. Uh, they are the manufacturer of the product. So thanks to them, we were able to solidify all these relationships, also from trade shows like CES and and again, the short time platform opens up a lot of opportunities that we've been able to get the product QVC, like you name it, Bed Bath and Beyond, Best Buy, Walmart. I think I've, I've lost track of now for <laughs> how, how many other stores we're at, but but yeah, you know, it, we we we're doing the best we can to kind of keep the retail environment and all of our retail partners that we had before COVID uh, in a, in a great way to you know just keep those relationships alive and breathing because. It was tough. I won't lie to you. We had our last show in January, which was CES 2020, and it was a great show. We had so much bus going around and and so much, so many, you know, upcoming retail buys and all that. And all of a sudden, mm-hmm. when COVID hit, then all the retailers, all these deals, everything kind of fell off the because right, it, it's yeah. tough. You know, that there's been so many layoffs and so many companies shortcutting and and the budgets and all that. So, but again, that's the beauty of innovation that you have to keep pushing yourself, keep innovating. And I'm glad that even though things fell off the cracks, now we're coming out with some new products that are helping us continue the journey. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. So tell me a little bit about how you got that started. You came home after that gym experience and did you start developing the prototype or how did you come about to get that all initiated at the very beginning? 
Well, I would say, Alina, probably it's kind of like the whole perspective of having a band. So I kind of did the same thing. I won't lie mm. to you. I remember I came to the house and I said, okay, I have this idea. So I pulled up like a notebook and I started kind of coming up with names. And I did like a list of names. And then I put a lit list of like specifications of how I would like to kind of like the product uh, feel, look. I, I knew because coming from the headphone world that, you know, rechargeable batteries and, and all these different, you know, make it simple. and. Mm. And That's what do you gonna, mean by list of names? I'm sorry to cut you off. Oh, oh, not, not at all. I mean, basically, you know, when the idea started, I felt, you know, you have to have a name for this product. Oh, so, got it. Got it. So I don't even remember how many names I did. But for some <laughs> reason, Benji kind of stuck. And then I said, OK, Benji lock. And I was like, OK, this sounds kind of cool. It's simple. It's catchy. Uh, mm-hmm. Kids like it. But also anyone that is adult will like it as well. And also I wanted to break the mold of, you know, normally when it's locks, it's very boring. There's like no excitement. And mm-hmm. I feel like that name can be like just different. It's just one of those names that I felt that for a product, it, it's very consumer friendly and anyone can relate to it. And it just brings that spark. So that's how the name came up. And and then from there, I just started drafting all these ideas and I had a graphic designer, a friend of mine that we put put some stuff together. And then I basically kind of assemble a little team. I knew that when you create a product by doing a lot of search or or whatever you're doing in life, a- any invention that you want to do, you have to make sure that it's not done yet. Because if it is, then it's not even worth it putting your time, money, and effort into it. And that's where I did. The first thing I did, I go- did a Google search, went to local stores, and nothing came up. And I said, wow, mm-hmm. you know, a product like this, you can't see it anywhere. So maybe I am on the right track. So then from there, after doing further research, it looks like you also have to figure out a way how to not only work on your prototype. So that means that you have to find a product developer. You know, I'm not a creative mm-hmm. creator of products. I have all these ideas. I have all this stuff, but I have to find someone that can help me make this idea happen. Mm-hmm. So I had to knock on a lot of doors to find the right product developer. Because again, you have to understand that during this time frame. I'm unemployed, have a little bit of savings. There's nothing coming in. Basically, three kids just, and three kids. And it's basically now energy and money coming out. And that's not sitting well at home at mm. all. Um, so it is very tough. And again, as an entrepreneur, you have to have uh, a strong mind and and figure out ways of keeping keeping it positive. And if one day doesn't work out, take the next day. So while I'm doing all this, I also learned that uh, regardless of any invention that you want to bring into the market, you have to make sure that the legal way you are covered. And that mm-hmm. means that you have to do your, your what they call a patent search. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to find like an attorney now and, and a patent attorney. So now you're looking at a lot of expenses without even having nothing concrete. And I remember to this day that I did all that. A lot of money just went out the door. And I'm still kind of doubting myself. Is this going to work? If it's, Am I on the right path? Because I'm spending a lot of money and nothing, you know, nothing is going to happen right now. Mm-hmm. Remember, out of the blue, my attorney, Alex, he calls me and says, hey, uh, Robbie, uh, I got to say to you, the patent search came in. And believe it or not, Robbie, there's actually nothing in the market, nothing right now with your invention. And I'm like, you got to wow. be kidding me. And he goes, <laughs> yep, not, not even the big companies, nothing. So it's up to you if you want to pursue this. You know, it's going to cost you money, though. You know, it's not going to be easy. You know, I know you're unemployed and all that, but 
Um, it's up to you. And, and I said to myself, you know what? I've always been a risk taker. Uh, I'll figure this thing out. So mm. I started that process. And while I'm doing the process of the patents and the trademarks and all that, I'm also working with a product developer, which that was a handful because that's a lot of money trying to create a prototype. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have to bargain a lot. And, and my credit cards were all through the roof. And <laughs> so as you can as you can imagine, it is very stressful. But while doing all that, try to kind of shortcut it, three years working into this idea. Finally, I have this prototype. It works. Sometimes it doesn't. But I already have my patents and my name and all that. And I said, okay, what's the best way for me to showcase this prototype? And after doing further research, the best way to for me was probably go to a show called CES, the Consumer Electronics Show in Vegas. So like Mm. every January, there's probably more than half a million people at that show. It's like where all the companies from Samsung to Sony to Volkswagen to, I mean, you name it, uh, Mm. all the the Microsofts of the world, the Amazons. I mean, they're all there. This is like the big tech world all in one little bubble. And that's basically how I kind of took this prototype. And then again, now you're talking trade shows. That means that you have to spend money in traveling in a show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all, this, all this is kind of piling up. But I knew I knew that I had something special. I just needed to see what's next. So I went to this show, unveiled it. It was tough at the beginning, but then the show started getting very busy and all that. And a lot of people were excited about it. And that's kind of where the whole Shark Tank opportunity came by because I've never personally seen the show, but people kept saying, hey, this looks like a Shark Tank product. You know, they have a casting call in the Venetian hotel. You should go and do it. And, and I'm like, you know, I've never seen the show. I'm, I'm actually <laughs> working in my trade show. I'm, I'm not interested in that. And But after so many people came in and asked me, hey, is this a Shark Tank product? You should go and do it. I said, you know what? I'll just do the casting call real quick. I did a line, a uh, two-minute pitch. I did it and then kind of forgot about it and kept doing my trade show. Mm. Um, and that's kind of how it all started connecting. Wow. That's amazing. What an amazing story. And and you're such a risk taker for piling all that debt and just pursuing your dream. So that's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, go ahead. And if you, and if you think about it too, that that's again, you know, I was actually even, uh, second guessing myself because I remember when I had the prototype, I was thinking, okay, is this the right time to launch it as this trade show because it's still not final. It's still not working. I don't have that much money in it. But then you start thinking, okay, in technology, you can't really wait too long. Yeah. Every year, things just start evolving. So I basically took the risk of going to this show and unveiling it there. And thanks, you know, for taking that that risk there. That's Mm kind of how I managed to get that short tank casting call. And also kind of building relationships just like Ace Hardware and QVC and all that. So thanks to that trade show, actually, you know, I call that that place like my home away from mm-hmm. home because that was like where I literally launched my baby and then kind of share it with the world and then build mm-hmm. all these relationships and networking that that kind of led me where I am today in a way. You're talking about the CES one in, in Vegas? Correct. Correct. Got it. Got it. Awesome. I'm going to have to check, check it out because I've never even heard of it. <laughs> oh, you have to. You have to. I mean, uh, th- this year, um, I believe it's going to be digital. Uh, mm, it's all going to be digital. So it's, it sucks. It's going to be a definitely a different experience. I think they just announced yesterday that the platform is going to be Microsoft. I don't know how we're going to do it, but it's not the same. So yeah. um, definitely 2022 hopefully will be better. Uh, but you, it's one of those shows that you definitely have to check it out. It's, it's so fun. 
Awesome. Awesome. I love it. So tell me, what was it like on Shark Tank? I'm excited to hear the story about that. <laughs> well, I won't lie that, you know, I remember coming from the show, coming home, and then you're you're back again to your life. You know, your kids, you're still unemployed. You got all these business cards, and now it's all about following up and building those relationships and all that. And, and you're just going with your life, you know, and there's a lot of ups and downs in between, and you're still, you know, kind of figuring things out. But then one day I get an email that says, hey, you know, we met you at, at, at CES and we're interested in continuing the casting for the show, et cetera, et cetera. So that took probably like four or five months of a lot of back and forth, a lot of mm -hmm. videos, a lot of emails, and they want to see, you know, how would you react and, and what's mm -hmm. your pitch and et cetera, et cetera. So all that went through until one day they told me, Hey, if you're available, this is your date, come on in and, and do your thing. And, and for me, it was, to tell you the truth, there was a lot of anxiety. I was scared, but, but on another note, because I've never seen the show and I really didn't went to, when I knew that I was going to go in, uh, I never really turned the TV to start seeing the show, to start kind of getting anxiety yeah. and all that. I, I just said, you know, I've never seen it and I'm not even going to see it. I'm just going to go in and be myself. And wow. I think that was actually the best thing for me because just being myself really helped me a lot when I stepped in. So the Shark Tank. Amazing. Amazing. So were you nervous at all with all those cameras in your face and the judges that is sitting in front of you? Very nervous because you, don't know who you're, who, you know, you don't know who you're going to go pitch the product until literally last minute. And oh, then, okay. you know, when you step in into the whole Shark Tank, it's basically you have one minute and everybody's like looking at you and and you're looking at them. And then, <laughs> you know, you're like, oh, crap, you know, I have all these different entrepreneurs and personalities. And, and all of a sudden I have uh, Alex Rodriguez on the left, which is a baseball player. And I'm like, wait, this, this guy's from back home. And then all of a sudden you have Barbara Corcoran and Lori Grenier and, and Kevin O'Leary and, and Mark Cuban. And you're like, oh, wow, this is, this is, this is big. But at the end of the day, when you're inside the shark tank, you kind of have to be yourself and, and kind of go with your gut. And for me, that show was another stepping stone because, and again, you, you know, you, you have your family and all that. And you'll, you, you will relate because, you know, when you're building something, it's been three, four years now building this product and, and doing all this. And, and you go through so much ups and downs and so much emotional distress. And, and a lot of people around you don't believe or may not believe in what you're doing. And, you know, who's going to pay for that or who's going to buy that and blah, 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 and all this stuff. And so you kind of have to soak it all up in. And when I went into that show, I remember to this day, I remember there was a part that I just started crying because for me, it was kind of like the American dream that actually mm. these guys are actually liking this. And right away, I just started hearing, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. And I'm like, wow, like that for me was like, it wasn't even about the money or it was more about someone believing in what you were doing. And at the end of the day, it was a game changer for me. Wow. Amazing. And so again, you only had one minute to pitch your product. They only give you one minute. They give you two minutes or so. Wow. Um, and I believe the show when it aired, I think they show 15 minutes of your, of your episode. But in reality, we were there for probably like 45 minutes, but uh, stand back and forth and all that. Oh, okay. Okay. But standing in front of the judges, they, they only give you two minutes for your story. Exactly. Exactly. So you have God. to be very, very proactive, very, you know, energetic. And for me, I was like, you know what, I'll, I'll just be myself and, and that's it. And if it works out great, 
If not, at least uh, it was a great opportunity. Yeah, yeah. So at that point, you were working on your prototype for three and a half years. Is that correct? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Probably up to four now, because I four. believe, yeah, the trade show passed already. And and then the Shark Tank opportunity came by. And when I went in, I still had a prototype. So like mm-hmm. I literally, that show for me, it was tough because normally when you go on Shark Tank, a lot of companies already have sales. They have stores. Some, A lot of them are actually already well known, et cetera, et cetera. But in my case, it was a very different approach because I had a prototype. I had, you know, winning awards at CES. I had all this stuff going around me, a lot of buzz and all that. I had the patents. I have everything covered. It was basically that I just didn't have the money to take it to the next level or the right partner or mentorship to guide me and and see what's next. So it was a very interesting opportunity for the Shark Tank. And that's why I think that everybody was blown away by it. And that is when Mr. Wonderful came in. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. He was actually the first one that said, you know, I'll go in with you if you're open to licensing. And Mm -hmm. I said to myself, you know, I thought about it before the Shark Tank, there's opportunities of bigger companies that may approach you. But again, I always kind of wanted to build it as Benji Lock, because normally what happens is that when you license, they take out your name, they take out everything, and basically they name it whatever they want to name it, because mm. they're the ones making the product, they're the ones doing the distribution, they're the ones putting all this money and and research and development, and mm. basically you're just out of the picture. And for me, it was more like I want to keep this name, I want to make sure that this brand name I bring it to life. And he got it, but he also understood that. Can you put this technology beyond the lock? So can you put it in the door? Can you put it here? And can you put it there? And I said, absolutely, because that's the whole thing. Anywhere that we can have a fingerprinting key, you can literally put Benji lock beyond the lock, the, the, the lock itself. And that's mm-hmm. where he got it right away. And the others got it as well. But for some reason, you know, his business and straight shooter as he is, that really took me to that other level. Got it. Got it. So Robbie, how old were you when you started your business? Oh, wow. I'm, I'm losing track. I lose track every day. Um, <laughs> well, you're still pretty young. <laughs> well, I just turned, did I just turn 36? So I think I was, Shark Tank was in 2017. So I was 33, maybe 33. Awesome. 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 Thank you. So I wanted to ask you, what do you think most prepared you to launch your business and to continue with the growth of your business? Well, I think at the end of the day, it's whatever you want to pursue in life, you have to have a passion. And if you have a passion for that, then it's not going to feel like work. And, you know, for example, yourself as an entrepreneur, what you're doing right now, you really have to have a passion for it. Because if you don't have that passion, then it feels like, "Mm, I don't know, I don't want to put the time and effort into it. And for me, Benji, like it's always been that it doesn't really matter about the money because, you know, I went through it three, four years of building this and and no money coming in and just money going out. And I always thought I can't think about the financials. I have to think about building the brand name, building that prototype, building that idea. And, you know, that that's why I think it, it, I've always been humble. I've always been the same person from back home, even up till now, that if you keep yourself afloat and just don't think craziness and just be yourself in whatever you're pursuing, then it's just not going to feel like work. And it's just going to be exciting to every day, just put a bit of effort into it, bit of effort into it. And and again, from one entrepreneur to any anyone listening right now, that it's always not bad to share your idea. Because 
if you don't share your ideas as an entrepreneur, then you're not going to get anywhere. You have to share your idea to the world. You have to be, you have to learn how to be partners with other companies or other peoples or other, you know, you can, because a lot of entrepreneurs and, and I've dealt with it, they just want to keep that idea or that next step to their own because it's just their baby and they don't want to mm -hmm. share it. But then again, if you don't do that, then you really don't grow. So mm -hmm. you really have to learn how to be, it's not, it's not bad to be partners with other companies or other entities or other investors or, or co-founders, you name it. Learn to mm -hmm. share your idea. So did you have any mentors that helped you out to start your business? Yes, I, I will say probably um, I did a lot of local meetups, local meetups of other entrepreneurs going through the same or probably even ahead of you. But at least you'll get to learn and hear other entrepreneurs going through the same thing as you are at home, at work. You know, do I quit my normal job to start this idea? Or, you know, there's so many stories that I still remember to this day that that helped me a lot. But mm -hmm. also, you know, I don't know if they, well, I think they do it all over the U.S. Uh, I'm a big preacher on on the small business community and they have a, what they call SCORE. So I think they have SCORE LA here. And basically it's free mentorship. So anyone that is an entrepreneur, anyone that wants to be in business, go to SCORE la.org i believe and mm. i think every city has their own small business score that is free mentorship for anyone and, and till to this day i still get mentorship from them every couple other weeks i have my own mentors and all that and mm. because you know it's it's been people that have been there done that and regardless of the industry doesn't matter the industry you can be in the electronic industry plumbing business you can be you name it they all relate to each other in one way or another. Amazing, amazing. And it looks oh, like yes. net mentorship is key, definitely. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Networking, mentorship. I think every business owner should be tracking on that to to grow and to learn, right? Always, always. I mean, every day I'm always learning. Uh every day I'm um learning from other businesses and, and other entrepreneurs. And you know, it's a it's a ever changing game. You're always learning, you're always uh keeping yourself afloat and and it's the beauty of it, you know, and if you take it like that and you go with that passion, I'm telling you, it's just going to feel like it's not even work. It's just you do what you enjoy. So mm -hmm. that's the beauty of it. Awesome. I love it. Robbie, I'm really interested to know, how do you look at failures and how do you overcome them? Well, I would say failures are, are good because it's, it's good to go through failures because then that helps you be stronger. You know, like I said, in the in the past, in, in this interview that I failed of a lot of businesses, I failed at other ideas. And but what you do is you learn from that and then you apply it to the next one. So failure is not good if you don't apply those techniques to towards the next one. So for me, you know, failing is not bad at all. It's actually good to fail because then you're better at the next one. So uh, th those are the things that I kind of take from that, you know, use mm -hmm. that as a motivation for your next uh, idea or your next venture or your next whatever you want to achieve in life. Awesome. Love it. So let's chat a little bit about successes. But before you get to answer that question, I just wanted to say one thing. The reason why I asked about successes is to show immigrants that they can do it too. So with that, I'll leave it up to you to share whatever success you would like with our listeners. Well, I will say, you know, this, the success, you know, for me, even coming to America, that was a success. Because, you know, mm -hmm. as an immigrant, all of us, when we have to go to get that visa uh, back home, it's very difficult. You have to leave a lot of things behind. So even before I came to America, I had to sell my car. I had to uh, had savings. I had to do all this stuff to at least 
get a, a student visa at the time. So at least I could come in and try to pursue something and hopefully make the most out of it. So that for me is a success already on its own. Uh, every immigrant that comes to this country, uh, it's always going to be tough. But at the end of the day, if you think about it, that's why they say that the U.S. is built by immigrants, because a mm-hmm. lot of us come in here. But we really have that passion of working. We really have that en- energy of of doing better than what we were doing back home. And it's not that we don't enjoy being back home. It's just that you know that the U.S. is a very beautiful country of a lot of opportunities, but you really have to put uh, that effort. And the immigrant community comes in with a lot of energy. And that's probably my biggest success, just coming to America, you know, enjoying, but then also putting that effort into whatever you're doing in life. Awesome. Awesome. Got it. So Robbie, is giving back either volunteering your time or giving back to the community something that is part of your business values? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. That's one of the things that I, to this day, I, I, I provide mentorship. I give back to the schools around me. Uh, I do a lot of uh, conferences and I don't even charge anything. I just do it more to inspire others. That if you have that idea, just go for it and do it. And if not, at least you took that risk and you're not going to feel like, oh man, I should have done that or I should have done this. And, you know, I, won't, I it's funny. You know how many people told me, in the beginning, wow, I had your idea. Wow, I remember I had that idea years ago. And I said, well, no why way. you didn't? Why? You know, and, and, I, and I remember telling a lot of these people then why you didn't execute. That's wow. the thing. That a lot of us have a lot of ideas, a lot of dreams, but then mm-hmm. we don't execute. And if you don't execute, then at the end of the day, it's not even an idea. So, you know, that, that's how I give back, you know, just, just being myself, sharing my story. And hopefully it will inspire others to continue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and that's the beauty of it. You know, we all live once and we just have to keep it going until it's all gone. You know, amazing. That's so powerful. So, Robbie, what are some things you would advise the next aspiring immigrant that wants to start their own business listening to you right now? Well, I will say don't be afraid of, of taking that risk. A lot of uh, a lot of us, especially the immigrants, we always are thinking of should we do it? You know, it, it looks so hard or difficult or, or I'm, I'm not going to have the money to do it. You know what? Forget about all that. Whatever you want to do, just take that step. And basically, you know, if you have that dream, take a little journal and just write it down. And every day you just start writing a little bit of it. Every day you start putting a little bit of effort into whatever you want to work. And I'm telling you, and I've, and I've said that before, but every little bit of effort you put every day on your business or your craft or even yourself, Alina, right now on your podcast, I'm mm-hmm. telling you. It goes a long way. And then mm-hmm. with time, you'll start seeing that you're going to remember, wow, years ago, I remember I was doing that. Look at now, because you <laughs> had that vision of every day just putting that little bit of effort. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's so powerful. So to wrap it up, I want to ask these super, super fast questions, if that's OK with you. Oh, yeah, no problem. OK. What time do you normally start your day? I will say probably 6 a.m. Awesome. How many employees do you have? To tell you the truth, I'm still a one-man army. It's just been myself. And then uh, we basically have our partners, which is Hampton Products. And then also uh, Kevin O'Leary is an investor. He's very hands-on. But then I have on the side a lot of small team members that were very creative in creating, whether it's uh, uh, marketing or video or pictures and things of that nature. So uh, it's still on my own. I'm still doing the same thing when I started, even still to this day. 
Wow. You are a superhuman. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let me just say that. <laughs> so do you just have a bunch of consultants doing like the little things that you're talking about, product development? Yeah. Well, and, and, and and the, the beauty of this is that because we license, then at least uh, the whole manufacturing process and distribution and, and product development, that's actually on my partner's hand. But mm -hmm. I'm still very involved in, in, in the product still very involved in the development. But I, I, since the beginning, I always had a vision of the brand and the product. So that's why I've, I've been very, very involved in mm -hmm. everything from the beginning. So I always like to have my, my little hands deep mm -hmm. in every pocket of whatever mm -hmm. stingy lock. I want to make sure that I, I put my touch in it. That's awesome. So how many patents do you have for uh, Benji lock? Probably, I think, right. I I believe it's over 14 now. So wow. it's been growing. You know, it, it's 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 interesting. When I went on Shark Tank, I believe, well, when I went to CES, it was only one. And then when I went um, on, on Shark Tank, it was one and a half in a way. <laughs> but then now, you know, uh, as technology evolves and all that, you have to also think about how can you see Benji Lock in the future? So that's why I keep myself innovating the technology in different ways that I cannot unveil yet. but you have to be prepared for years ahead. Awesome. How often do you watch TV in a week? Not much, but I do uh, because of the whole COVID. I have had the chance to finally catch up on uh, with my kids, the whole Stranger Things. You know, had a chance to also see uh, Breaking Bad, which was one of, wow, that's <laughs> like my favorite show right now. Like I, I truly enjoy that show. So I will say probably couple hours here and there at night when I want to mm -hmm. relax and, and especially with sports too. I'm, I'm a big uh, sports fanatic when it comes to baseball and basketball and all that. So to kind of bent away from work. You're not binging on Shark Tank episodes? <laughs> tell you the truth, not at all. I have not seen the show since I actually aired. That's how you see no. it. Because <laughs> I really don't watch it. So it's not something that I right, do right. on a normal basis. So uh, interesting, right? <laughs> right, right, right. Awesome. And how many hours of work do you normally put in? Oh, wow. Uh, for me, to tell you the truth, uh, probably 10 hours a day, I will say, or mm -hmm. 10, 12 hours. But but it, it's funny because it just doesn't feel like work. It's just like I'm working every time. I could be working now. I could be working later tonight. And I don't really count the time. It's kind of more like just go with the flow. So mm -hmm. interesting, right? I love that. I love that. It's amazing because you're not really working. You're doing what your passion is. You're pursuing your passion. So and that's completely different than work, right? Exactly. Right, right. So what's next for you, Robbie? I saw that you guys are, you've developed the house um, lock the on the on the doors, on the house doors, which I think is really, really cool. Um, are you guys going to go into garage locks? What, what's next for you? Mm -hmm. I, I will say probably the next steps for us is uh, the door lock, which is, I believe, launched this week. Uh, we also have a bike lock coming up, especially now if you go to Walmart, Target, they're all sold out. So it, we're kind of reinventing especially you know the gyms are closed the travel right now is kind of low so mm -hmm. even though those products that normally carry that type of lifestyle are not being used at least now we have the door lock coming out and then the bike lock coming out that 
I feel there's a big potential there. So can't unveil too much yet, but the, the future <laughs> does look exciting. So that's cool. Love it. I love it. Robbie, thank you so, so much for coming on my show. I truly appreciate your time to share your inspirational immigrant entrepreneur journey with me. And I got to say, you're a true innovator and continuing to change the world one lock at a time. I am sending you warm wishes and successes your way. And again, thank you so, so much for all what you do out there. Oh, thank you so much, Alina. I truly appreciate it. It, it does mean a lot to me. And, and please continue uh, on what you're doing. You know, it's a success to keep the immigration voice alive and you're doing great at this. Alrighty, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. And hey, guys, I just wanted to ask if you can give me a quick shout out wherever you're listening to this podcast on whatever platform you're on. I'd love to give you a shout out as well on a future episode of mine. So stay tuned for some more exciting episodes. I'll see you guys all next time for another exciting and impactful episode. Take care.